Welcome back to our Total Sense Bite Size episodes. I'm Tom Henske, and I'm here to help parents teach their kids about money. I have with me today, Jolene Godfrey, who I title the guru of teaching kids about money. It's so fitting to have you here with me today because raising financially fit kids was the big part of my inspiration 20 years ago before I got into this. Jolene, how are you? I am terrific, actually, still teaching kids and families about money. Gosh, it seems like just yesterday that we were in New York City and you were getting me all pumped up about teaching kids about money. And here we are now and doing a podcast. Who would have thought? Over Zoom. Well, we didn't know either Zoom or podcast in those days, but we were seeing people in real life. And I have to say, the meetings you put together, Tom, were great fun. I I remember them all well. Let's get right into it. What does the financial literacy landscape look like today from your perspective? I wish I could tell you that we had jazzed the scene up and it looked dramatically different. I don't think it is, to be fair. I think that there is greater awareness of the need for financial literacy and financial fluency, but I don't think there is either at the family level, the community level, or the business level, much of an understanding that financial fluency is critical in the lives of kids and families. Now, I don't think that's entirely an accident. I think that in this great society of ours, there are a lot of companies who frankly don't want their consumers to be all that smart. And so there isn't a real push for kids to become financially fluent. So it's not hugely different. Slightly better, not hugely different. What does that mean for the future then? We're going to be sitting here 20 years from now and having the same conversation over and over again? Uh, not if you and I can help it. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think persistence, I think really coming back at the culture. I do think there is a rising awareness and it's happening among parents who understand that money, the financial landscape, first of all, is completely different for families. And the idea that money is so invisible in children's lives means that it's very hard for parents to help them become financially mindful. So I think, frankly, the change will come as a growing number of parents will say, we need to do something with and for our kids. That's different. And I think that will help the work you and I both do. I think our listeners have heard me say about a million times, if you want to know about the road ahead, ask the person walking back. So you've worked with a lot of these families. Some have been successful, Others have not been as successful. So what does success look like? And what does failure look like? I can tell you that success looks like a third and fourth generation who are mindful, who are financially conscious, who have some real level of literacy around not just managing their money, but managing their assets in a much more expansive way. Success looks like a willingness in the family culture to invest. And I, by that, I mean investing money and time and intention in the process of bringing the family on board. Um, it's interesting. You know, families, if they want all the kids in the family to learn how to drive, They make sure they get driving lessons, a decent car, and spend time teaching them to drive. And it happens. 
those families who want their kids to be financially literate will spend time, money, and provide the vehicles to make it happen. If it seems too hard, then I think what failure looks like is, oh, they're too young, or oh, there's plenty of time, or oh, we can do it down the road. That's what failure looks like. Um, on the other hand, I would say I'm seeing more and more families who are approach, approaching this as an amazing time to connect with kids and really do something kind of juicy and fun in the family. So I'm more upbeat than I used to be about this, but it's hard. It's challenging and not for the faint of heart. And so what's a first step for a, n- a normal American family to take to start talking about this? A normal, is there such a thing as a normal (laughs) American family? Let's say any family, however eccentric they may be. Um, Well, you know, I almost never start with the numbers. I don't start with the money. I start with, first of all, you've got to know what you want. And as a family, and certainly as parents, whether you're same sex, different uh, grandparents, whoever is parenting kids, They have to start with real clarity about what their goals are for these kids and also what their financial values are. You know, we think we all have the same financial values, um, but of course, in one family, you can have save for a rainy day and carpe diem. And that's like training a dog with conflicting messages. You're going to get a crazy dog and a confused kid. So getting values really straight is the first thing that I start with. And, you know, the second thing I go to almost immediately is what I refer to as FISH. And I use the acronym FISH because even a five-year-old can remember that FISH stands for four kinds of asset groups, financial, intellectual, social, and human. And I don't actually let families start working on money with their kids until we do a full review of What are the intellectual assets in the family? Who knows what to do? I mean, one of mine, for example, is making a killer apple pie. (laughs) For others, it it is certainly their degrees and their ability to um, teach kids chess. Those are all intellectual assets. The social assets are the relationships that the family has, not just transactional and who can do what for whom, but who am I connected to? Where do I get my support and my connectedness in the world? And where do my kids get it? And then, of course, there is the human capital that is so critical. And I say to families these days, I can tell the difference in a nanosecond between those kids who had access to grandparents and those who haven't. Those who have some connection with their extended family know who they are. They have a much lesser um, conflicts with with their identity. And they need their logos, the cars they drive, the external symbols of who they are, much less than those kids who have not had access to grandparents, which is a stand-in for human capital. You know, what are the memories in the family? What are the experiences we've had? So, you know, you can tell I go on about this a little much, but I honestly don't think you can do decent financial education unless you have values and the human capital audit in place. It's why this takes longer. I mean, 
a lot of people think you give a kid an allowance and get it started and they learn how to budget and boom, they're good. I've just never seen that happen. Yeah, yeah. I heard you could also get it in a pill, right? You can yeah, get, yeah, exactly. And I'm sure somebody's working on that, but it's not me. <laughs> well, let me ask you a question. You know, when you use the FISH acronym and financial, intellectual, social, human, that financial capital one, really, it, it's a struggle for parents because they don't know how much information to share. So where's that line? Well, And actually, you just framed one of the biggest problems, and that is they think it's about sharing numbers. And I would say, "Mm, no, it's about financial capital in this case refers to, do your kids know what a FICO score is? And do they know what your expectations are? Do they know in your family, everybody's expected to have a 750 and above score or even what that means? What they need to know is what's a trust, even if you know, even if it's just the 529 financial um, plan for education, that's a trust. Do kids understand what it means to be a beneficiary and what the responsibilities of a beneficiary are? I think those families that go straight to the numbers, what do I tell them about how much we make or how much we're worth? They're skipping this whole universe of information that is context for what do we tell them? If you do the earlier stuff, the what do we tell them about what we're worth or what they have is a whole other ballgame. So I know just having talked about it over the years with you, that ownership resides with the family, with the parents, right? But there are parents out there that are going to say, well, why can't they get that education in the schools? So can you talk? I have an, yeah, I have, you can tell I'm eager to respond. I, I know to you just one. jumped right in. I was halfway through. I think we're reading each other's minds. So go ahead, hop right in. I love it. Oh, it's the most frequently asked question. So a lot of great research has been done on financial education taught in schools. The sad fact is that it's really discouraging that retention of financial literacy or financial education that happens in a six-week or semester-long class actually doesn't last very long. And it's been a puzzle. Why is this? Why does it work better? Well, I think it doesn't work better because it's A, hard and B, inappropriate really for schools to be teaching financial education in the context of a family's values. And every family has a different set of values and expectations. In If you're doing it in the family and are attaching it to what's important in your family, that's harder to let go of, harder to forget. I'm going to tell you one quick story. Years ago, I was giving talks regularly at the Harvard Business School. And I would notice after the talk was over, there'd be this line of people just waiting to talk to me. And I figured they were all asking questions. No. None of them cared about asking me any more questions. What they were there to do was tell me stories. One after another, they would come up and somebody would say, my mother always said, or my grandfather always told me, or my father repeated all the time. And finally, it hit me that what those adults were describing was the nagging that their family members had done over the years that had slowly, finally come into them and become their character. It was the 
the sort of integration of that repeat, repeat, repeat that some member of the family had given them that gave them a sense of what was important. And you can't get that in school. You can get that in your family, or I hope you get it in your family, but it's very hard to get that to get the sentence. And my teacher always used to say to me, just doesn't have the same power in that way. You know, it's the old saying, the older I get, the smarter my parents get, right? <laughs> yes, I think that's it. And what's so depressing about that is you don't know as a parent for 10, 20, 30 years, if anything you're saying is getting through. I'm here to tell you, I am reporting that it is getting through. It's just not getting acknowledged right away. So what age do you think is appropriate to start? I know it's different strokes for different folks, but where, where do you think it really starts to become, okay, now they're going to understand certain concepts? Um, I'm just finishing up a program that I hope to be able to launch in the first quarter of next year called Bounce. And we are starting it for children four to six and seven to 10. And even four is a little late. And I say that because there's plenty of research suggesting that kids are picking up their financial values and clues from you by the age of 18 months. Um, so on the one hand, I say that so the parents understand that waiting, putting it off doesn't make any sense. On the other, I want to also say to families who are listening and they think, oh my God, I've got a 16-year-old, it's too late. No, it's never too late. It's just take some different techniques and skill. And once you got past the normal understanding the family values and the lead up into the, let's call it the training or the education, give me the top, I don't know, let's say three things that you think are important to start with. Well, <laughs> you know, this is just common sense. The first thing is, what does this kid care about? So it's much easier, for example, to help a child figure out um, a balance sheet for an elephant or a dog or a lion if the question is, so what does it cost to feed a lion in a zoo for a year? They will stick with you and go down that road and figure out all the details around it. Much easier and more fun than if you say, okay, so I'm going to give you $10 and you're going to have to figure out how you're going to spend the $10 this week. It's like, okay. ugh, another chore. You have to build on kids' interests and passions and curiosity. Again, that takes a lot of energy for parents who are already busy. But I'm here to say that it's, it's really, really fun. I have two fishing stories that I tell all the time. And one is the story of the kid who comes into a room I'm in there and he starts to say, Miss Godfrey, I have a story of my last fishing trip I want to tell you. And I'm waiting because I know this kid, he's got great fish stories, but his dad comes right behind him and he says, oh, Adam, there's more to life than fishing. And Adam just deflates. He was so excited about this story. And I tuck that away. I remember watching that kid, 15 years old, just deflate. It happened in the weirdness of things that about eight weeks later, I was in another family meeting in another part of the country. Another 15-year-old boy 
walked into the room, he said to me, Miss Godfrey, I've got this idea. I'm going to go fly fishing in every one of the 50 states and write and blog about it. And I remember standing there for a nanosecond trying to figure out if you actually can fly fish in every one of the 50 states in this country. And his dad came right behind him and said, oh, and I bet if you approach some of the big outdoor companies, they'd sponsor that blog for you. Fast forward, I think it was four months, Orvis was in fact sponsoring that kid's blog. I tell this story to say that if you can jump on what a kid is interested in, you can teach them financial education. Imagine what that other 15-year-old learned from approaching a company for a sponsorship, for doing a proposal, for delivering on it, for making sure he followed up. All of the things that I think are part of building a financially fluent kid he developed because it was organic in his life and it was building on something that mattered to him. Paying attention to what a kid cares about is really a big part of financial education. And then take that one step further because we just got through with this whole Robin Hood and buying individual oh. shares and stuff like that. Yes. Is there, how do you pivot that want interest to letting them learn about investing? So it's easy. You've now got a context. And so then as a parent, you can say, you know, that was great that Orvis sponsored that blog for you. But um, let's take a look at all the big outdoor companies. Let's see how they're each doing. You know, what's the difference between them? And again, instead of moving towards something that's abstract, investing all by itself is just an idea. But if you can apply their interest and their curiosity to something that's familiar to them and that they're curious about, investing just becomes a vehicle for learning. And so if you, as a 15-year-old, are looking at, well, you know, if it's um, L.L. Bean versus Orvis, how do I compare them? How do I do due diligence on them? You know, you asked a few minutes ago, how old when you start kids? And I said, three or four. We're not teaching three or four-year-olds about investing. What we are doing is building language and values so that by the time the word invest comes on their radar in a more serious way, they've heard you talk about investing in the family, investing in education, investing in the relationship with the kids. Invest becomes a concept that can get applied in all parts of their lives. And it's not just this thing that I'm going to do that's about money. Financial education fundamentally is not just about money. It's about independence and knowledge and aspirations and values and dreams. Financial and I think when families approach it in that way, it becomes a very juicy part of the family experience as opposed to, okay, Sam, I'm going to sit down and teach you about investing. You just drain the life out of it when you approach it that way. You know, I think our generation used to think that money is a taboo topic, right? Is that still the case with today's parents? What do you think about that? I don't know that it's taboo in the same way. I mean, you're right. It was, um, we simply don't talk about that. But I think now it's more, I don't know how to talk about it, so I'm not going to. I think it's less about taboo and more about, I just don't know where to begin. 
because, of course, no parents have gotten the kind of education you and I are talking about. Right. You know, it's funny. I always used to think that uh, saying it's taboo is just code for I don't feel comfortable talking about it myself. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that's a big piece of it, though. I do think it's different. I think that, you know, it, it used to be the privacy was something that was a very big deal in families. With the internet and social media, the very idea of privacy is so 19th century that I think we've long gone beyond that. I think you're closer to it. That is, you know, it's more about anxiety than it is privacy now. Julian, if you have a couple more minutes for me, can we just talk about your book? Because during the years that I was a full-time financial advisor, I must have bought hundreds of your books to send to clients (laughs) who loved it. Uh, And I loved it for so many reasons, just because it's bite-sized pieces. The way you have it categorized by age bracket was brilliant. So tell me what you were thinking about when you were putting that together and would you still put it together that way today? I think one of the reasons you and I worked so well together is that I'm not a financial advisor. I'm a social worker by training and you are certainly trained and lived your life for a long time as an advisor. So we were able to integrate two disciplines and make them work together well. Um, I came to understand financial development accidentally as in this developmental way. I had started to interview adult women who had started companies, who were entrepreneurs. And I began to be very curious about how they had developed their own financial knowledge over time. And it finally came to me that they hadn't, that nobody had talked about money with them when they were little girls. And being an activist by nature, I thought, well, somebody's got to do that. And it seemed to be me at the time. And so the question, since I, since I am trained as a developmental social worker, I knew that kids learn to walk and talk developmentally. And so I figured, well, we probably learn about money developmentally. Turned out there was no model for it. Nobody had done that before. And so I had to go out and really find the map and begin to understand what's appropriate to learn when children are, you know, six and under and seven to eight and 10 to 12 and so on, and really map that out in a very granular way. It turns out that it's much easier. It's like learning French or Russian. You know, it's if you start with my name is and get the very basics of a sentence down first, it's easier to build a paragraph and then a novel. Money's the same thing. It's like we don't talk to kids about money till they're 16 and then think they should have the knowledge of a financial advisor, which of course is insane. Um, and everybody's unhappy. So I think the developmental model is just an easier one for families to grapple with. Well, if I was to admit in public, your book is my favorite. Mine might be my second favorite, but your book <laughs> on financial literacy, but yours is my first favorite. And, well, and the model. <laughs> the model I take credit for. I think that that it's a very effective model. Um, but I love your approach. I think the the letters, the way you think about talking with parents is really lovely and gentle and, and useful. So they work well together. Great. Well, Jolene, our time is up, but it's been fantastic. Thank you so much for joining me today. 
and tune in next time. We'll have some great guests coming up. But Jolene, you will always be the guru <laughs> of financial literacy. No one will ever top you in my mind. Thanks so much, Tom. I hope you enjoyed our episode of Total Sense. A special thank you goes out to Verso Studios at the Westport Library. Tune in for our next Money Chat.